Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of CMO Conversations. I am really excited to bring another Salesforce alumni on to my show today because that means I've worked together with our guest. And um, Lauren and I go way back. I have today Lauren Vaccarello, who is the CMO at Talend. And Talend is the leading tech company in the field of data integration and data integrity. The thing that's really interesting about Lauren is that she, when I was working with her and kind of prior to that, was known as being a powerhouse of digital marketing. And there aren't a lot of CMOs that come from digital marketing. And so today, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, really how she made that leap and what does it mean and what could it potentially some pointers be for those of you who are in what we would kind of, or Lauren kind of termed yesterday when we're getting ready, um, the sort of more back end marketer. How can you kind of move from being a back-end marketer to being recognized within your company, having visibility in your company, and also like growing your career like she did? So Lauren, let me hand it over to you and you can give us a little spiel on yourself and sort of um, where you are in your role at Talent. Awesome, and thank you so much for having me. I love talking to to you, to Salesforce marketers. It's, it's so funny how many uh, people from our time at Salesforce are now sort of littering the valley as CMOs, and it's it, super it's fun, re- huh? It's so great, and I just think back, and it, who would have thought back when we were like in six fear that this was going to be the breeding ground for all of the I know it's crazy. Leaders. Like more than half the people that we worked with on that floor in that little like half floor area are CMOs yep. now. It's amazing. It, it it really 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 is, and it just. It was such a good training and such a good way of looking at things. And um, I'll give people a little, of course, the AirPod pops out, a little background. Um, uh, So I lead marketing at a company called Talent, but how I got here has been very circuitous. And I I had met Trisha, uh, I don't want to think how many years ago, um, 12, 13 years ago at, at Salesforce. And it was totally different time. It was... $750 $750 million in revenue, like 2,000 employees. We were not the category leader. Um, digital was this new thing that Salesforce was starting to do, and hey, we should build out digital. And I got hired to build out paid acquisition. Um, and I really, really sort of fought the idea of being like the search girl because that's what I did, and that's what I was really good at. Um, but I didn't just want to do that. I wanted to be more than, you know, the search girl. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with doing paid search, but there were so many other things I saw and had ideas about. Uh, so the way I, I sort of looked at things was how do I look really holistically? Search is this massive, massive focus group. And we're getting all of this data and all of this information. And how do we do everything from learning about what keywords which are really market trends and how do we work cross-functionally um so i went from doing paid search to eventually taking on organic search to eventually taking on all of digital um at salesforce and i got to do all these like weird side projects like run salesforce's first global advertising campaign um I got to work on a Super Bowl ad, which for everyone who worked on that is a little traumatized. <laughs> we talked to Robin Daniels about that when he was on the show. He was like firsthand the manager of Chatter. So yeah, he oh had more gosh. trauma and scars than anyone else. It, it's, it's, we were all just, you know, all a little traumatized. Robin, Robin bears the brunt of it. <laughs> um, you know, it was a good experience. It was good. It was character building for all of us. 
I think um, that's why there's so many CMOs, actually. We went through a lot of character building in that time. It, it really, really is. And I just remember, and I am so grateful for um, working for George Who, who's now the CMO at Twilio. And that, I you could never not know something with that man as COO. You would go into a meeting and he would say, two weeks ago you sent me a spreadsheet. And on the third tab in row 84 cell D, you had this number, but now you're saying this, which of those are true? And you're yeah, like, you oh always have to be ready. It was really good training. And it just meant that we knew our business upside down, backwards, forwards. We knew how everything we did applied to absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, well, I also think it was um, a big thing in terms of like the performance culture and the accountability, yeah. which, you know, we could talk about even more, but I, um, I don't want to derail you, but I think that that is something important to note. And I mean, not a lot of people liked working for George. I actually did. And you just said that you I did. I loved so working for him. I cried when George left. I was like, oh no, <laughs> who's going to hold everyone accountable? <laughs> so... When I, when I left Salesforce and I had my like exit interview, I had it with George. And I sat in that office and cried and was just so sad and was so sad to leave George. And George had no idea what to do with me as I'm just sitting there like crying, saying that I'm leaving. And he was like, okay, Lord, got it's it. for you to go. <laughs> Tap you on your head, be like, it was, it was, it was good. It was good working with you. I'm like, I, I don't know why I'm crying so much. I gotta go. Yeah. Um, but I'm to this day. I mean, I think I traumatized George as much by me crying as it traumatized myself. Um, but he he made everyone so much better. And that's why, you know, there's so many CMOs that sort of came from that time. Because we had to be performance oriented. We had to know our businesses. And I remember sitting in an offsite in like the basement of the Cliff Hotel with marketing leaders. And we had the product, the cloud product leaders, we had the international leaders and I was supporting for digital, all of the clouds and all of the regions. And I just remember before that meeting going, oh my gosh, I know this international lead doesn't know his numbers. And I know this person doesn't know his numbers. I'm just going to make sure I know everybody's because yeah, I mean, none of us smart. Because George knew everybody's, and just FYI for the listeners, mm. we had an 87, like, page printout of, like, all of these spreadsheets that Lauren's talking about, because at any moment, yeah, George right. would turn to, like, a random page with a random cell and ask about it. Yep. So, and you just were like, yep, know that one. Yep. And, and I remember sitting in this meeting where he was asking, maybe it was the person who ran marketing for France or for Germany, a question, and they didn't know the answer, and I just popped up, and I was like, this is the answer. Okay, gotta go. I'm sitting back down. This is not my split. This is not my job. And there were several times I was just going, I'm just going to throw the answer over the table because none of us succeed if one of us fails. Yeah. We are, we are doing this. And that just made me have to know the business every which way possible. I had to understand how digital and demand drove um, the rest of the business. I had to know... Um, conversion rates I had to know win rates because it was just you had well, to know the business yeah and it all adds up to the parts right I think like that's one of the big things we've talked about on the podcast is it's not okay to just be the marketer that says like oh I produce the leads and like here it is right like yeah. it's it was never okay in the time we worked together for digital to just say 
oh, well, you know, my cost per lead went in half. And so like, I've done my job. Like that was just totally unacceptable because it wasn't Mm -hmm. about measuring digital to the cost per lead. It was about measuring digital to the cost of the business. And I think that was one of the things with that accountability from George that was very, very clear from the beginning. And, you know, you were the beginning of when we started to really invest in digital. I mean, we are talking about, like you said, 12 to 13 years ago. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at Drift, we talk about that being what we call the um, demand gen era, right? Like we Mm -hmm. moved at that time from marketers are doing billboards and they're doing PR Mm -hmm. campaigns and like stunty kind of stuff as a way to create buzz. And that was the only thing you could kind of measure is like, is there buzz in the market and if you go ask someone on the street do they know who you are then we moved into this more digital era with the internet and SEM and everything and and you could just get by by saying oh yeah we're measuring to leads or Mm. measuring cost per click or whatever but like really I think that was the main thing that we all worked together on back in that time was how do we actually take CRM on the back end which obviously was what we were doing and these new technologies and pulling them together to really have an impact to the business I think, you know, we didn't talk about it before, but I think this accountability and this focus on the accountability of of the outcome is maybe one of the things that, you know, you talked about the demand people needing to think about the outcome. And I think Mm -hmm. like this, I had never thought about it before yesterday when we spoke, but this idea of like the front office marketers and kind of like the back office marketers and like who really has a visibility. We've had a lot of product marketers on the podcast Mm -hmm. and they talk about category creation and the message and things Mm -hmm. like that. But Um, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit more of like your experience of being this back office person. You just told us like you're speaking up in the executive meeting to cover the butt of like all these other people, right? Like that's already putting you kind of more in the front office. Yeah. Um, But like how, how have you approached that and how do you think that contributed to the growth of your career into being CMO today? That's a great question. And it's the, as a marketer, I have been the so I always had this concept like front of house, back of house, and it's because I worked in restaurants and you're like front of house, back of house. Um, and I've always been back of house. I have been the, and when I first started in digital um, more years ago that then I'm actually old. So it's weird that that happens. Um, uh, digital marketing wasn't a thing people did. It was not a socially acceptable profession. I remember my office was literally in the hallway of my first job my office, my desk, my desk was in the hallway of my first job as like the digital, like the weird digital person and digital marketing. And we think about where it came from was the, the people that sat in the hallway. We worked on the websites, we were technical. And then you had the, the strategy people, you have the product marketers, the people that get on stage, the people that talk to sales, the people that tell the story and product marketers which is an incredible skill set to have is to tell that story are the people that have the most visibility. And then you have the, the sort of the back of house, the marketing operations, the digital that are there sort of working in the background, making sure things get done. They're making sure your website stays up. They're making sure your lead gets routed to your salesperson. They're making sure the ads work on the internet and they're, they're doing all of this, but we usually, don't go and you know present to the CMO or we don't go and present to sales because that's just never been the role where the people behind the scenes making things happen and then you have sort of the product marketer going and presenting here's all of the end results here's everything that happens and tying it together um and I sort of always looked at things a little differently and still having that but I made sure I didn't just think about tactics because something that I have seen a lot of digital marketers fall into 
is we get really tied into the tactics. We get really obsessed with the tactics. We get really obsessed with the weeds. And it is, well, I'm going to think about my cost per lead and how do I optimize my cost per lead? And if I improve my click-through rate and I do this and this, and that's where we'll focus. The only reason you're improving your cost per lead or you're improving your click-through rate is because by doing that, you're going to drive more revenue for the business. And I always saw the end and the improving a click-through rate or making the website load faster or you know, finding a new way to target this person is a means to an end. And a problem that a lot of digital marketers have is you, you talk about the tactic, you talk about the how and not the why. So something that I did that I still do and encourage all of my team is the how you got there only does not matter as the first thing you say. You have to go with, this is how I'm going to help increase revenue. We improved our bookings by doing this. I improved our pipeline by doing that. And then if people want to know the minutia in the detail, we have the data to back it up, but it's leading with outcomes, leading with impact. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I did that because I'm so good at what I do. I sped up the page load time. I ran these three tests for conversion optimization. I found out that this form layout works better than this form layout. And that, like the nerdy digital marketer will care and I'll think it's interesting. But if you're speaking to an executive or you're speaking to someone who's not a domain expert, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And we yeah, have and I think to it's like it that. becomes noise, right? And then I yeah. think when people, if you're always talking about noise, one, people don't want to feel dumb. Mm-hmm. Right? You're talking about all this stuff, yep. and you have a senior person sitting there thinking, like, am I supposed to know this? Oh, my God. Yep. Like, maybe I'm dumb. I don't like being around this person. They make me feel dumb. You know? <laughs> so I think, like, this point yep. of, like, really talking about the outcome, really, like, connecting yourself to the impact you're having on the business, it's huge. But it's huge not just in terms of, like, the reality of what you're doing. It's huge because this is a great way, and I think it's great advice for how do you speak to executives? How do you actually know your audience and yep. and deliver, you know, relevant information to them? Yeah, and it's it's a hundred percent know your audience. Who are you talking to? What do they care about? If you're talking to the CRO, talk talk about revenue. Talk about how you're helping with bookings. If you're talking to if you're talking to say the VP of product marketing, we have great insights as digital marketers on what messaging is resonating, market trends. Like bring those sorts of insights to your product marketing team, and then talk about hey, we tested your new. We tested your new message. This is what's resonating in the market. This is what's driving pipeline. This is what is resonating with the sales team. It's great insights to share, but you're right. If all we do is get like caught up in the minutia, no one will hear us. Yeah, totally. So now you in your career, you went from being this back of office sort of marketer, looking at like all these like widgets and numbers and and data points. And (laughs) then you moved into sort of a broader role, not just the digital part, but demand gen overall. Um, you know, how would you recommend, um, you know, for people to think about growing their career and being able to kind of make these various leaps that you've made? Great question. Um, so it's to go from digital to product marketing, really hard leap, unless you happen to work for a, a company that does digital marketing. But if you want to go from digital to demand, it's, it's less hard of a, it's less hard of a leap and to go digital demand. CMO mm-hmm. is a is a more realistic path and for me it was things like know the outcome you're trying to drive and as a digital 
we are digital first as a world now. 13 years ago, digital was a small, a smaller percentage of the demand funnel. Digital, at least for me, is a very, very, very large portion of where demand comes from. And we need to, first of all, realize and recognize that as digital marketers, we are already driving 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% of demand, depending on the company. And to sort of own that a little bit and sort of have a little confidence in ourselves because of yeah, that. Yeah, take pride in it. Absolutely. And then be able to have those conversations leading with outcome of our, you know, our total pipeline target is, I don't know, $100 million. Digital has driven $65 million. We're up 40% year over year. Having those data points, but then also being able to say, and the overall strategy for this. So not just jumping into the numbers saying, well, we focus on this um, this target audience, this persona, we use this message, and then this is how we drove $65 million. And being able to connect that, and if you start to train people and change the way we talk, and there's a bunch of sort of data behind this in, for neuroscience of how we speak becomes how we think and can rewire your brain. So if all you do is talk about tactics, that's how you think. If you change how you speak to lead with outcomes, and then to lead with messaging and persona, you'll start to think like that and you'll start to think more strategically by forcing yourself to uh, talk about forcing it. yourself to talk about it and to lead with it. Um, That's great and advice. if you do that, you people see you as bigger and more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, one of the things that I think um, is really interesting too is that you know we'll talk on it a little bit more of like how the world has really become digital so obviously mm-hmm. like this is actually a strength even though most CMOs yeah. probably haven't taken your path but um I think one of the things we talked about is like how this sets you up in a place of no. sort of uh, strategic knowledge right so like as you're managing your team since you have this knowledge of digital like no. how do you lead as a CMO do you think differently mm-hmm. than others since you actually can go and understand that like granularity of digital um, I think I occasionally freak out my digital marketing team, which I get such a kick out of. Um, just a funny side story. Um, I have a, the woman who runs digital at Talent is absolutely brilliant, and she's also another ex Salesforce person, and I adore her. Um, and she's known me forever. And there's a woman on her team who runs paid search. And I mean, no one now knows me as a paid search person. No one would think that unless you knew me 15 years ago. God, that's a long time. Um, so no one thinks that. And everyone, on, unless you've known me for 10 years, you don't think of me as the search person. So the person who ran runs paid search was walking me through programs. It was, I couldn't help but sort of smile as she's like explaining the basics of paid search to me. And this is how this works. And she's she's giving me this really good like baby high level version of what this is <laughs> I want to be like I was like Jacinta does she does she know anything does she know that I know this um and I love it and then all of a sudden I can ask really pointed questions and I get a kick out of that when people sit back and are like why are you asking me this it's like no no because I know how to do this I have to just skip the basics part just tell me really what's going on and is this good or bad um and I've got a, a good relationship with our web team, our digital team, and I actually spend a good amount of time with them because I'm genuinely interested and curious in what they do. And I have so much respect for the work, say, our web team does. And 
what's different with them than I think has been different at other places they've worked is they know, I know if they're good and I know if they're bad. I don't need someone to filter quality Mm -hmm. level for me. I can call it really quickly. And if you're good and I know you know what you're doing, I know the power of doing this well. So they have more air cover and more autonomy than they will get anywhere else. They're good at what they do. They produce excellent results. So we will meet once a week. We'll run through what's going on on the web just to keep me updated. But the the woman who's my director of web strategy is like, we print money. Lauren lets us do what we want as long (laughs) as we keep printing money. I was like, those are the rules. Yeah, that's awesome. That's always a great place to be in. And I think, um, you know, there's certain programs that we do and you see it in every company where it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, it just goes, it goes, it goes. And and we have customers too, like Mariana at PTC. She, mm-hmm. you know, has a solution where she has six cents us and um, people.ai. And she calls it like the money machine. She's like, I if we that. just make this run, then it does great. But she's leading all digital transformation for PTC, which yeah. is a huge company. And it's because it works and she has yeah. this like she's opened this door where people trust her because she's proven out something that contributes directly to their revenue and, and that's and i think the, the strength for marketers today is like you said back to the outcomes if you can demonstrate the impact you're having at a strategic level you get a lot of respect absolutely and with Mariana at PTC, I could imagine her having such a good job because no one is nitpicking everything that she's doing. It's like, you're driving results. I've created this money machine. You can nitpick this or you can have me go and tackle the next topic. And like that's even with the, the web team that we have, as much as I'm a pain in the butt for them because I know what they do, it is, they know how to, they know how to make money and where there's an advantage for having someone with a digital background is I can translate so even if they aren't always, here's the outcome, this is what we're driving, I know what they do enough that I can translate in my head mm-hmm. of this is really what you're trying to say to me. Yeah. And I think as a leader, it's up to me to help them be able to communicate in a way that worked for me and they talk to someone who doesn't understand. So for me, it's I have to help teach them and get them to a place where they can have these conversations with someone who isn't a functional expert. Mm-hmm. But when they're talking to me, I'm like, just tell me what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Go in the weeds. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so when you start out, you started talking about like your desk in the hallway. Yeah. Like that's kind of derogatory. And then yes. you talk about like, oh, I was this like geeky number person. <laughs> so the way you present it and how you even talk about yourself is like <laughs> a little bit underqualifying, I would say. Yeah. And then you talk about how you like took on bigger roles, how now you're CMO, like, was there an element of imposter syndrome ever that you had? And like, how did you get through that? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, a hundred percent. I think there still is for everybody. I, I still remember a meeting that I had when I first started at Salesforce. And I will never say who I met with, um, that I was doing one of the like meet people and introduce when you first start. And I remember talking to someone who I still know, who very likely does not remember they said this to me. Um, And we're in the room and, you know, they're like, oh, where did you come from? What were your jobs before? And before I worked at Salesforce, I worked in industries that were, you had to be really good at digital. But they weren't industries that were reputable tech industries. I didn't work at some big fancy company. 
I worked in like gaming and online trading and online education because at the time, that's, that's where you made money. Mattered. That's where digital yeah. mattered. And I remember saying this to this person and they were like, you probably shouldn't tell people that. It doesn't give you very much credibility. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I'm new to tech. Well, I'm new to that space. And I just remember sitting there going, this is where people that are good came from. Um, yeah. So it was, and I still remember that. And like, that was the perception back then. And it very much was the, well, should I sit in this room? And I think that conversation gave me this, uh, well, I'm going to, I do just like, you have yeah, no idea power, what you're right? talking about. Like, you. <laughs> I, 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 I 100% deserve to be here. Um, so that was this sort of op- opposite effect that made me feel like, no, I'm going to prove everyone. Like, I don't need to come from a fancy company and a fancy school. I'm good at this. Um, but there were definitely times, especially as I got into broader leadership roles and I um, took on CMO roles where you get this, like, do I really know what I'm doing? Do I, do I, should I really be here? Mm-hmm. Um, and my first VP of marketing job that I got when I, I left Salesforce, I took a VP of marketing job at a startup. I'd been on digital, I'd done demand. I never did product marketing. I never ran PR. I never brand creative before. And what I didn't realize is I had these opportunities to be in all of these rooms. And for everyone that is listening, if you are invited to a meeting that is outside of your domain, don't be like, whatever, I don't have to go, or I'm just not going to pay attention. I got invited to meetings about event planning at Dreamforce of like, how do we decide to, how do we like do space planning at Dreamforce? I was the digital marketer. There was no reason for me to be in that room, but I got invited. So I went and, you know, I contribute when I can and I get invited to go meet with the chief creative officer and we would talk about creative and editing. And I would just get invited to these meetings and I was too dumb to realize like, why am I being invited to these? So I just went and I listened and my first head of marketing job, and I'll never forget it, they had a customer video and they did a customer video and I had never worked on a customer video before. I'd seen you work on customer videos, but I never did a customer video. And I sat and they showed me the customer video and I watched it and went, that's not telling the right story. No, 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 no. Okay, minute one, one minute, three seconds, change this. Okay, your product, you're not showing a product image when you're talking about a product, put a product image here. Okay, the story will sound better, move seconds 45 to you know 55 to this part. And I gave this and all of a sudden I went, how did I, I didn't know I knew how to do that. <laughs> yeah, you had just watched it enough and you learned and you were observant enough to kind of pay attention. And that's what it was. And it was like giving me the opportunity to do that and taking the training wheels off. But I'd seen you do it. I'd seen people do it. And I listened so much that all of a sudden I went, I think I know how to do this. Oh, wow. I think I know how to do this. What I should have done that I didn't do, and this is for anyone who's like a new head of marketing or is going to go run marketing or even anyone now, because I still have to take this advice is it's okay not to know the answer. And like, I, I didn't know product marketing in my first head of marketing job. I'd never done it. What I should have done is called you and said, (laughs) I don't know how to do this. Can you walk me through, like, help me with this? 
Yeah. And instead, I was like too shy and too ashamed to be like, okay, this is the area I don't really know. So I sort of faked it and I would read things and I thought I had to do it myself. And I was okay. I was, I could have been more successful at it. And I look back now of like, I could have done better in this area if I only had the sort of confidence to say, you know what, I don't know this, but I know a bunch of brilliant people that Mm -hmm. I can ask for help. And that is like the mistake that I made that I hope other people don't make. And now, you know, I've been running marketing for seven or eight years, seven years. There is still a ton of stuff I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a very complex job. So I think we always have some area and and things are always changing too, right? So I think we talked in some other episodes about this personal board of directors. And I would Mm -hmm. say like translating what you're saying into like understanding these areas where you maybe have weakness and Mm -hmm. how do you get that personal board of directors that has like that expertise. So you kind of have those people bought in, they understand what you're doing and you can always kind of pick up the phone because they've like yeah. already signed up to be bought into helping you, you know, with your success. And and that's, I think as well, where like the Salesforce network of, of Marketraz kind of like comes yes. in because there's just so many of us that like, this is our network, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's great because we can pick up and talk to different people about different things. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think um, one of the things that we should talk about is just this importance of digital, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're coming from digital background. You thought it was like maybe like the not sexy thing. People told you to not talk about your past. <laughs> um, and then here we are, right? Like the past 18 months, we've just been in digital land. I mean, there's Everything nothing else anyone can do. And whether you were yeah. knowledgeable about how digital worked before or not, at this point, you know a lot. Right. So um, talk me through sort of, um, you know, how that's changed your decision making. Like, what do you think is like maybe even the future where, you know, CMOs and others should think about like digital moving forward? It it was the digital is a nice to have to digital is a need to have. And it's Mm -hmm. um, we've got a. It's like we've got a, a customer who at talent who's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And he uh, is in marketing operations at Estee Lauder and what he's done since COVID hit in terms of digital transformation is absolutely incredible. And it is, if I'm going to, I'm hopefully JG won't listen to this if I misquote the exact number of years, but they were, they had a certain amount of revenue expectations for e-commerce and for digital for three years out. And it came to fruition in 2020 because it That's was amazing. Yeah, so it has to move to digital and it's caused them to completely rethink, okay, what are we doing? What's the experience? And if you think about how you buy makeup and if you're going to go buy Estee Lauder, you're going to go to the makeup counter or you're going to try stuff on, it's an in-person experience. And now you live in a world where there is no makeup counter. You're not going in person. What do you do? And I love what they did. And they were like, well, we had to rethink this. So... We had these virtual beauty advisors. We changed what people's jobs are to create a very different type of experience where you can still have that personalized conversation, but you can have that digitally versus mm-hmm. versus in person. And even the way they looked at, well, what are the types of products we we email customers about when you get the like email newsletter that's like, hey, Trisha, go buy this, mm-hmm. um, which I love those. And I that's how I do all of my shopping is because marketers <laughs> are really good at targeting. Um, but during COVID, the products we needed were different. I 
you know what? I really didn't wear a lot of makeup during COVID. That wasn't super important. What I needed was like hair care products and more personal wellness. And I didn't need mascara because I'm sitting at home. Nobody cares if I have mascara on anymore. Um, so it, it was just forced them to totally rethink their products, how they went to market. And I just, I, I think they've done such an incredible job at digital transformation. And then even on our end and every marketer today be, is the, this new merger of analog and digital. What are our expectations from an analog world that now bled into digital? And it was funny, I, because I've always been so digital, um, I actually really love events. Like I love events and field marketing. I get such a kick out of it. And I see the value in it in a way that I didn't when I was just leading digital. Um, what COVID forced us to do that is not going away was when you hosted a webinar pre-COVID, it's like, here's the webinar, the speaker goes on and there's no personal connection. You don't go to a webinar for a personal connection. And since COVID hit, I had a 5,000 person user conference online. I have all of my field marketing events online. I have all of my executive programs online. I'm not going to go to an executive event and make it feel like a webinar that's cold and sort of distant. It has to feel personal. Right. And this forced that degree of art of marketing and the how do you make a digital experience feel personalized and feel like there's that human connection. Yeah. I, I would have never expected that to happen. I would have never pushed for that. But now I've got these incredible executive um, executive programs where we have these bespoke, you know, 10, 12 person executive programs and executive events that like meaningful connections are built completely yeah. virtually with people around the world, which is incredible and I would have never expected. Well, and I think we never would have thought about it before, right? I mean, on a no. personal level, I know like before COVID, I had a friend who ended up on bed rest, um, mm -hmm. you know, for their pregnancy and we had to cancel the baby shower. We're like, oh, yeah. you're on bed rest. There's no baby shower. And yeah. like how many people have had babies during COVID and there've been huge online baby showers, yeah. virtual experiences, et cetera. I mean, it's just the entire change of mindset. But I think, like, if we go back to your Estee Lauder story, I mean, you're at a company that is helping companies you know, deal with their data. Yep. And I think this whole digital, what you were really strong at back in the day, was this understanding of the data. So mm -hmm. how do you think that that has transformed, like, you as a leader and your marketing team? It, like, because the world is so digital now, is everybody now more knowledgeable about the data? I, I wish everybody was. I wish everybody <laughs> was. Um, it's not. Uh, I will say my, my random comment about data in general is the good and bad thing about data and being data driven is we have so much data and so much information. We are so data driven, but the bad thing is we have so much data. We're so data driven. There are times, and I will say this, and then I'll talk about why you should be data driven and contradict myself. There are times you need to just do what you believe is right and not get mm -hmm. super caught up in the data. Like with PR, my PR and thought leadership program is not going to drive a dollar in trackable revenue. Yeah. Doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. Yep. It is the how you measure it and does it work is softer and is softer and different. And when 
I know you've had people come on and talk about category creation. And so even the work we did at Salesforce zillions of years ago of how we made took Salesforce from a, you're buying a CRM to this is how, what you run your business on. Mm-hmm. A leap of faith had to go into that because you're spending yeah. a ton of money and a ton of time and you're like, it will work, trust me. And then it's Mark and he's brilliant. So of course it worked. Um, so you have to have part of marketing that you're willing to have trust and faith and a belief, yeah. verify, but go. The rest yeah. of marketing though, you definitely need to track and understand what you're doing. Um, what's interesting, especially as you know, you have like account-based marketing and marketing in a lot of ways changing, what we track and measure is just, it becomes different. Mm-hmm. And knowing, and the thing that I push my org for is, I won't, if you have a crazy idea, I won't say no. If you give me an idea, I will push you on it. Because really what I want to know is, tell me at the beginning, what problem are you solving? How are you measuring success? Mm-hmm. And then tell me, I want to go run a, a data escape game and we're going to do this virtual game where we get all these people and they solve all these quizzes and it's like a virtual um escape room i'm like uh-huh. cool that sounds cool why are you running it yeah like, what, what's the impact to the business why would what's the impact to the business yeah and if i and i ask these questions and people think i ask because i disagree and i'm like no it's a cool idea i have no idea why you're doing it yeah and you're like oh i'm doing it because we need to you know drive leads or pipeline or unstick deals and this is what we're going to do and this is how I'm going to measure success. I'm like, great. Sounds like a cool idea. That sounds like a way to achieve that. And that's the thing I've pushed my org on a ton is don't tell me your idea because all ideas seem interesting. Tell me what you want to do with it. Like I have this problem. I have this goal. This is, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. Then tell me your cool idea. Yeah. I think that's so important because I also think that, you know, in today's day and age, like everything's changing all the time. It gives you the opportunity to actually test new things. But if you don't know why you're testing, you don't know what you're trying to get to, you can't really like test, fail fast, learn, grow, et cetera. And I think that's such an important part of a marketing organization is really having that ability to fail fast and learn. Mm -hmm. And, and of course not on your most important number or your most important thing, but like still bring that like opportunity to like learn and grow as a team and, uh, and as individuals. Um, we're running out of time, but I do want to get one other thing. Um, well two actually, because I have my Mm -hmm. closing question that I ask everybody, but you know, your growth actually has come from like you, I would describe it as like this like ancillary halo areas. You went from digital to demand, demand to, you know, like a broader VP of marketing role and then up into CMO. So, you know, what's your theory on like promoting people internally versus hiring net new? That's a great, great question. Um, I definitely benefited in my career from being promoted internally. And years and years ago, I reported to the head of digital um, and he left the company. And I will never forget it. And he leaves the company. And of course, because imposter syndrome, uh, even though I was one of the top performers in the whole company, I was like, I'm going to get fired. I'm not going to have a job. My boss is leaving. I'm going to get fired. And I, I think about that. And the logical part of my brain says, you were one of the top performers in the company. You drove buckets and buckets of revenue. But I was still convinced I was, you know, out the door. Um, and my boss's boss came to me 
and comes to me and he's like, look, Bill's leaving. I was like, mm -hmm, yep, yep. And in my head, I'm like, here it's coming. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna have a job. And he's like, Bill's leaving. I have two options. And he's like, I could hire someone externally or I could give you the job and my money's on you. And that was, I mean, first of all, knowing that this person who didn't hire me, who inherited me, had that degree of faith in me was so incredible and so inspiring that I felt like I could do anything by him saying that. And it was also like, I'm gonna take this leap of faith and you have never had this job before. You've never had a job this big before, but I, I see the ceiling, I see the potential, I see the growth. Um, and I'm eternally grateful to that and the additional money that he gave me. Um, and the scope and that in so ways is a reason or a big part of the reason my career is where it is today. And then I think internally of the people that I have in the org. Um, and there's sort of two different angles that you look at things and they have something in the official leadership, which is like the nine box, which is performance and potential. And how well is someone performing and what's their potential or how high is their ceiling? And I look at people in my org and it's, if there's an opportunity where someone is really good and they're performing well, and I think they've got a lot of potential, if their boss leaves or if there's a stretch area, I try to give it to people internally if I see that, can you do this? But they have to make sure they have whatever support they need. Mm -hmm. And if they can't do it, they need a path to go somewhere else in the company. So it's not like I gave you this stretch roll and you failed and now you're out the door. It's I gave you this stretch roll. If it's too much, we have something for you. You will still be fine and you'll have that degree of safety. And there is a, it's interesting, there's a woman on my team now who's my chief of staff. And when I met her, when I first started at Talent a couple of years ago, she worked for someone who worked for someone who worked for me and was several layers down. And I remember talking to her and she was the only person that was honest with me. Because you know, you're the new CMO that comes in and you know mm -hmm. this, no one tells you anything. Yeah, it's no really one nice. Tells you <laughs> Thank and you. You're like, and you're like, I got if you don't tell me what's going on, I can't do anything. So no one tells you anything and you're trying to like figure out which way is up and what's going on. And there was this woman who had, she wasn't trying to manipulate me. She wasn't trying to get anything out of it, but she, you know, I'd get into the office at like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning because I'm an early person and to beat the traffic and she'd be there. And I'm like, do you want to go for a walk? And we'd go for a walk and she'd give me like, hey, by the way, look at this. By the way, just, you should just go pay attention to this. You should show up to, and she would give me this little bit of information. And I was like, oh my God, you're the only person that's telling me what's going on. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. And then the more time I spent with her, I'm like, she's actually really smart. She's really good. Oh my God, she's doing well in her role, but she shouldn't be in that job. And she's completely being sort of held down by this job. And the more time I spent with her, I just went, this person has something. And she is organized, she's smart, she knows the company, she's strategic. And I was doing a reorg and I mean, I need someone to run my life. Um, <laughs> and I went, 
I think I'm going to make her my chief of staff. She's never done this before. I trust her. She has the best interest in the company. I think she has a ton of potential. She has no idea what this job looks like. She has never done this before. She's got the right traits. Mm-hmm. Let me make her my chief of staff. If it doesn't work, I can... Move her to another role. Move her to another role. And this was a year and a half ago, and I swear, like, this woman runs my life. And she's gotten to a point where I'm on vacation and she can run a pipeline forecast meeting for me. And has never done that before. And it's like, you find that talent, you find people with potential that have the right sort of core skill sets, give them the opportunity and make sure the one caveat that I have is your entire org can't be step up roles. Like you right. can't have everyone. No, in you a have step to up balance. Role. It's just like that whole idea of like, what are you testing and where are you doing experimentation? Your most exactly. important project with the most important deadline can't be an experiment, but you can do yeah. it in other places. So I love this idea of applying that to your team and, and the ability to grow people and focus on their career growth. It's like not everybody can be in some experimental, can you do it role, but yeah. you know, a percentage of people can and well not Absolutely. everybody's going to be in that like upper you know upper right corner of the nine box either right so mm-hmm. it kind of aligns in both ways right yeah absolutely and it's the and if you one of the phrases that someone said is intelligence and wisdom and it's the i've done this for 20 years we have a degree of wisdom i am super super sharp and i'm hard working and i get stuff is you have a lot of intelligence and as long as you're pairing intelligence and wisdom and making sure that like Upstart has someone with experience there to sort of back them up and give them that piece. Yeah. It's it's a good, it is a good model. That's awesome. I think I'm sure many people who've worked for you or in your org basically appreciate that approach and, um, and are grateful. And maybe even after listening to this, you'll have a lot of people saying they want to come work for you. Um, oh, I hope so. Well, so we've reached the end of our episode and it's been a great conversation. I have one question that I ask everyone. And so okay. I'm hoping you could share your response to this question, which is what is the most important marketing lesson you think that you've learned in your career? <sighs> um, I used to think brand was a, oh, I don't know if I, I can't curse. This is a podcast. I used to think brand was a bunch of BS. And I did not get it. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the whole world. I was like, why do you waste money on this? Um, And I remember when I was at Salesforce, we had to do, we did the Wall Street Journal ad. Mm -hmm. And Mark bought a two year deal for the Wall Street Journal. It was $7 million a year for two years. And it had the front page ad on the Monday edition of the Wall Street Journal and then I got a bunch of digital stuff. And it was every Monday front page ad for two years. And somehow I had to run this. And I was like, because well, it had a lot of digital, but yes. <laughs> and I just remember being like, I don't have enough budget to run paid search. What I and in my head I'm sitting there going, what I can do with seven million dollars. If you gave me seven million dollars of additional budget for digital I could generate all of this pipeline. I wouldn't put it in the Wall Street Journal. And in my head, I just remember going like, what's wrong with these people? This is so dumb. What I could have done with this $7 million. And I look back at that going, I couldn't have been more wrong. Of course, Mark was right. Of course, Mark was right. And (laughs) one of the most impactful things I think I got to work on was that Wall Street Journal ad. 
and it was every single week and we used the print ad to tell a story over the course of two years about who the company was and it literally was on every CEO's desk every Monday morning and dur and this wasn't the only piece of it but during that time Salesforce went from here is this like CRM tool that maybe your sales ops person knows about to CEO level discussions and I didn't understand the impact of brand I didn't understand that by investing in things like a Wall Street Journal ad or an Ignite program or more thought leadership I didn't understand that by doing that and purposefully putting money there three years from now your company is going to be so much bigger and worth so much more I didn't get that until I had to do it and it is my like where the biggest sort of mistake that I made and the thing that I just didn't know is I was like, I don't get why people do this. Just put money in what drives revenue. And that's the wrong thing to do for long-term. Yeah, that's an awesome lesson. So that's great. Oh. Okay. Well, this has been a great discussion. I think it's been very different from the other CMO conversations <laughs> that we've had. It's so timely with the fact that we're still in this digital world and now all trying to figure out like what's this hybrid gonna world gonna be like. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, because of course they all now want to work for you, um, <laughs> what's the best place to do that? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Like, you know, what are your uh, handles? LinkedIn. I would say find me on LinkedIn. Just Lauren Vaccarello. Really unique name. So easy. Uh, I am on Twitter as at Lauren D, but I am a lurker. So I will watch and occasionally retweet, but I think I post something like twice a year. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, um, thank you to all of our um, listeners. If you like this episode, you know, please share and recommend whether you're in, you know, Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you're getting, um, you know, your podcasts. Go in and make sure that you rank us as six stars. We have high, <laughs> achieve, high achieving goals. Once a month, I share customer-centric, data-driven, and barrier-breaking marketing headlines, and that is in my newsletter, and we're actually doing that twice a month. So once a month, I promote the podcast. The other, I have just the newsletter about where the world in marketing is going. And so I encourage you to sign up for the newsletter as well as you know listening to the podcast ongoing. And thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you to you, Lauren. Awesome. Thanks so much.